Hey everybody, welcome to On My Last Neuron with Dr. Karis Dillon. My name is Mike Dillon and I'm Karis' husband and I get to host this podcast because my job is to make sure that the takes don't get deleted on accident. What? <laughs> One time. One time. One time. It, the happened whole to be, thing. It, it happened to be the entire podcast, it but it was one. Podcast. Yeah, it's okay. That's okay. Now, welcome everybody to uh, this episode. Uh, we're excited uh, coming to you from Karis's she, she Shed. And uh, it's not only a She Shed for making podcasts and YouTube videos, but now it's a space for her to do uh, what her new job is. What's your new job, Karis? I am a 9 through 12 social studies teacher, virtual, and I'm loving it. The kids are so great. That's awesome. So maybe they're listening. So uh -oh. do a little <laughs> shout out to your to your students. Students at, hey, uh, students at Iowa Virtual Academy. Very cool. So that's very exciting. So uh, we're hoping to make sure we keep bringing you these podcasts, but Kara's life has definitely gotten uh, considerably a busier. busier. A little know, bit busier. Sure. So, well, I uh, have a YouTube channel, too. Well, I know. That's why I said YouTubing and podcasting and all those kinds oh, of things. Oh, it's a bunch of videos, fun. So. I don't think we've ever talked about it on this channel. I don't know if we've talked about it specifically or not, but... Well, my YouTube channel is Dr. Karis Dillon, K-E-R-R-I-S-D-I-L-L-O-N, and it's all about academic subjects. If you're having a tough time in some of your high school and college subjects like psych, soc, econ, world history, U.S. history, come to my channel. Yeah, definitely. It's a great resource. He's got literally hundreds of videos. Uh, yeah, for you to watch on the different and some now. yeah it's pretty insane lots of subscribers as well so becoming a very popular uh, it's a definite passion of mine I really feel deeply about high school and college classes and you know education in general I was kind of born up in a family that valued education you're big into it too because you used to be a math teacher true very true so yeah no it's it's a great uh, great channel lots of good content and uh, um, like Kara said if you just want to learn some new Absolutely. information about those subject areas or if you're a student and you're studying for a big exam or working yep. through some content uh, it's a great resource for you or if you're a you teacher know. looking for some uh, content to incorporate into your courses uh, yeah. you can you know access the videos embed them in your courses it's and been nice I've actually used them quite a bit already for my virtual classes it's very cool very yeah cool. Sometimes, Dual, sometimes the text just doesn't give enough so oh, it's been yeah. helpful yeah. for sure and it's always colorful because it's Karis doing the videos oh, so that adds to the people the fall asleep easily that's probably what they use them for no. but I did want to add like I put in a majority of the DSM the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental illnesses in that YouTube channel so if you're studying for something for psychology and you need those mental illnesses those are on there as well we all need mental illnesses so <laughs> the no, gift the, the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> all right we're saying that from a place of knowing because we have them yes yeah. we're, we're, we're highly medicated so <laughs> we're, we're, we're good on that front so well what we're going to talk about today is um another book that Karis uh, ran yeah. across and has been reading. The book is called A Worry-Free Mind, and it's written by Dr. Carol Kershaw and Dr. Bill Wade. Um, I kind of picked it at random. We were kind of just throwing through books here to see what what hit, and we're like, oh, well, I've, I've been having a little bit of trouble with worry lately. Yeah, so yeah. It, I just decided, I was like, well, okay, worry-free. You know, I didn't know if I would believe in a cognitive 
change to to stop worry but the way that these two doctors put this into terms i was very impressed with it very cool so do you want to give us a little little uh insight into what the book's about and but the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to ask you to tell us a little story about eureka in a bathtub okay that didn't sound good (laughs) (laughs) whose bathtub and what eureka are we talking about now you you know who i'm saying yeah no i hear what you're saying so you're referring to the story of archimedes Archimedes. famous mathematician and scientist from way long ago (laughs) um and he uh discovered through luck kind of or maybe not luck maybe just through some deep uh deep uh, relaxation in the bathtub and uh, he, he was able to discover a solution to a problem. What so, was that problem? Well, well, I'll tell you the story. Now, this is Mike's version of the story, so <laughs> no guarantees on the historical accuracy of all of the specific details, but this is how I like to tell the student, the, tell my students the story. So so Archimedes, like I said, famous mathematician, physicist, scientist, all, this, all those good things, um, well-respected in his community by the uh, by the king and, and the all those folks, the nobles, all those all those folks. And so they would go to him with their problems and they would, you know, ask him for solutions and he'd usually come up with the answers. Well, the king or the noble or whoever it was at the time had a problem. And that was he had recently uh, uh, asked a local craftsman, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, to create a, a crown for him. And he wanted a solid gold crown you know that um, i'd like a solid gold crown <laughs> I, could, I could crown you <laughs> no. if you want that might, i don't know if that would count but um anyway so the king wanted this crown created specifically for him and so the craftsman said yes i will go ahead and do this and you know did the whole process made this very beautiful ornate crown gave it to the king and the king had this nagging suspicion that he just got ripped off that the crown was not pure gold that there might have been something else like some other metal put into it that just wasn't the val- value i've never heard this he story before oh, oh really well anyway. i'm intrigued so he needed to come up with a way to to test this you know and the only way the king could think of was well if i you know melt the crown down oh. destroy it you know that would be the way to figure out if there were other elements being used in place of the gold that it was supposed to be well he didn't really like that solution because he paid all this money and didn't want to go and destroy this crown so he goes to our friend archimedes and says hey can you help me solve this problem and archie's like archie's Archie's like oh yeah i can i can help you i can help you just give me the crown and let me ponder on it for a while, and I'll come back. Give and, me the crown. I well, might take I mean, off for a couple no, days. No, Archie. Archie was well respected. <laughs> I mean, he he was he had the king's trust. He wasn't gonna do anything. So he's like, give me the crown, and you know, I'll go do some thinking about it. We'll see if we can figure it out. Well, he started thinking about you know how he's gonna figure out if this if this uh, crown was truly you know, a pure, pure gold if it was made out of what it was supposed to be. And he was thinking and racking his brain and could not come up with any better solution than what the king had come up with. And he was frustrated because he's like, oh my God, I'm Archimedes. I'm supposed to be this guy that can solve problems, you know. I got to come up with something. So 
he gets to the point where he's just totally frustrated, can't come up with the answer. So he decides, all right, I'm going to go draw myself a nice warm bath. Smart man. Throw on some bath salts, put on some Enya or something in the background, <laughs> relax, you know, calm my brain, see if I can come up with a solution. So he brings in the crown, sets it on the edge of the tub. He hops in the tub, you know, and is kind of soaking there, you know, and just kind of, you know, likes to listen to Enya, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, uh, kind of starts to zone out essentially. Well, as he's doing that, he he shifts in the bathtub and accidentally knocks the crown, and the crown falls into the bathtub. And at that moment, he has a flash. Mm. And and he didn't flash his neighbors. Well, actually, <laughs> that's, that's the other part of the story that we we're getting to. He he has this flash of brilliance. Yep. And he realizes when the crown fell in the tub, he noticed that the tub water increased in terms of its volume. Mm-hmm. And so what he was able to kind of figure out was this idea of, of water displacement as a way to figure out what the volume of the crown was. And then what he could do is create a similar similar crown of the you know, same same volume and all that kind of stuff and then he could measure the densities and kind of get an idea if it was the if it was the correct alloys so i mean just boom out of nowhere this flash Mm -hmm. hits him how to do this he's so excited he jumps out of the tub he's yelling eureka eureka i found it i found the answer to the king's problem and he goes racing out of the bathroom running down out of the house running down the street but naked naked, flashing his neighbors (laughs) flash of brilliance flashing his neighbors streaking through town yelling eureka eureka i found it i found the right solution well long story short he was right he figured out the solution. They were able to test it out. The The king had been ripped off. The craftsman had indeed, you know, substituted wow. some some non-precious metals wow. into the crown. The craftsman faced the most severe of punishments. And the king was happy, not happy that he got ripped off, but happy that he was able to to prove it with the help of Archie. And uh, there you go. You Unbelievable. Know, flash of brilliance, Eureka, I found it. What an amazing story for this book. Because in the book, it talked about um, philosophers and inventors and Renaissance men and women who, like Einstein, um, as well as Newton, apparently knew about the human brain to some respect and used this idea of relaxation or even dreams to bring about creative ideas. And mm-hmm. these doctors from this book, I couldn't believe it. So first things first, I did not know this, even as a neuroscientist, that we have in our awakened state, we have a volume, and I'm gonna have you explain Hertz, but we're gonna talk about beta waves, we're gonna talk about alpha waves, theta waves, delta waves, this was new to me, which I, w- I was amazed I had not heard this before. So what is a hertz? So, so let's say you go in to have your brain looked at and they put electrodes on you. If you and I are just kind of hanging out talking, we would notice a certain amount of hertz if we have these electrodes hooked to our temple as well as other parts of our brain, that would show us brain waves. And so it would show us hertz. So how would you explain hertz? Okay. Mike? Well, so our hertz is the 
the the measurement you know kind of like inches is to length or pounds is to weight and that kind of stuff hertz are a measure of frequency okay. and so when you look at the wavelength of you know these brain waves the frequency is how often or how quickly essentially does it take to go from one point on that wave to cycle through and come back to that same point on the wave. Interesting. And so what what hertz is, one hertz is basically one cycle per second. So it goes through one complete wave in one second. Now if something is say 50 hertz, that means it's doing 50 cycles per second. So it's repeating itself 50 times in one second, or if it's a hundred hertz or a million hertz or whatever, so on so we can get the idea, so. So what, what these doctors introduced is that our brain waves, that we have different brain waves that elicit different ideas, different, that elicit brain activity. And they stated that when we were at 12 to 35 hertz, um, we were involved in cognitive tasks. We need brain waves that are gonna allow us to do our job, to pay attention while we're doing it, being very active. They said, um, if you're trying to pay attention and pay your bills, you're going to have to be in beta. It's it's kind of work, like filing work and those types okay, of things. And beta is what range? Beta is 12 to 35 okay. hertz. And so what was interesting about this is they said that when you are in beta, if you're in beta too much of the day, it's going to cause anxiety, worry, and you cannot have creative thinking when you're in beta. So when I was listening to your story about um, Archimedes Archimedes and his frustration, why can't I get this? I'm Archimedes. It is because when we're in a beta state, we're not allowed to creatively think. We actually have to be in a lower frequency of brainwave in order to have creative thoughts. Hmm fascinating that is, isn't that's, it? that is really interesting so the next level that they introduced was 8 to 12 hertz and that is alpha and alpha provides us our comfort um, it ignores discomfort and you're able to take in information without judgment so you're in a relaxed state but you're in a creative relaxed state it's interesting well you know what I just that just made me think of I was you know, I know I joked about in the Archimedes story about him listening to Enya, but it just made me think of when I was in college, um, my senior year, I had to take pottery. It was my fine arts course, and they would have music like Enya playing in the background, and I rocked out some pretty mean pots, you know, <laughs> I know, you know what I mean? Like, cause you're, no, it's right on. But, I mean, it's like, now that you think about it, I didn't really process it at the time, but I just thought about it, it's like, you know, I created some pretty cool yes. pottery, you know, like throwing things on the wheel and all that kind of stuff. And, and that that's like, huge oh, that, really you, that you say that because they talk about repetitive behavior with your hands, walking. They show us how those types of activities can actually take away our worry. If you are a person that gets stuck in beta where you have insomnia, you can't go to sleep at night, walking... Uh, playing piano, something that's rhythmic, and pottery has to be rhythmic, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, well, and it makes me wonder if it's too, you know, like not not only the act of throwing a pot, you know, which you know it takes some focus, I think, but I wonder if 
if it's the other way where having like that music in the background helps you relax mm-hmm. to the point where you're just allowed to let that let it flow but essentially you think know of where you're beta like correcting a paper beta is like detail oriented right, thinking right right is pottery detail oriented stages of it are but maybe okay. when you're actually throwing the pot you know when you're spinning it on the wheel okay you know you have to be you have to be like fairly relaxed you know in order to you know to mold the clay the way that mm-hmm. you want and if you if you get too tense or it, you know or vice like... versa you know that's when you start to make mistakes and then all of a sudden the pot goes to hell kind that's, of thing or that whatever sounds you like know. alpha so yeah i mean it, it, i can i can it, it so that makes sense to me that you'd be in that more creative state and being able to, like I said, kind of well, let, the, let the pot flow. They're literally talking about how problem solving, what benefits problem solving is rhythmic motion. It is those I, those items in life, even dancing mm-hmm. or laying in a bath that bring us down to that alpha level to actually problem solve. What that makes me think about is school. You know, when you're problem solving in school, maybe like right at that moment is not the best, you know, time to be able to problem solve. And my students would always say, I gotta have my music in my ears to think. Mm -hmm. You know, and that makes sense to me now. We would always think, oh, that's a distraction. And maybe it's not a distraction. Maybe it's putting them in a mode you know, to think through things better. Yeah. And it sounds like it's probably different for different people, what will get them maybe into that relaxed state. Because, yes. I mean, I think that example of students who would, you know, some of the music they would listen to would, like, drive me yeah. insane yeah, and not calm me down, you know. But they might say the same thing about music that I would listen to to do the same thing. So it must be different for different people what actually relaxes them or helps them get to that alpha state of brainwaves. Well, and it's fascinating when they were talking about the beta stage because when you're in it too much, you can actually start to what do what's called rumination. It's where you replay things over and over and over again. And they said that's a stage to be not fearful of but cognizant of because once you start ruminating, you can get caught in that cycle. And what's bad about it, like we've talked about in the other um, some of the other podcasts, you elicit that fight or flight mm. if you're in beta too long. Okay. And so the rumination causes that cortisol, that adrenaline, and then you're not in a relaxed state. But they did talk about the other way too. They said, you know, if you're too relaxed all the time, that's not good either because you're not motivated to get things done. They did talk a little bit about stress and how your perception on stress can really impact what you do with it. If you see stress as a bad thing, um, that can be less motivating. It can really hold you back. It can cause the worry. Whereas seeing stress as a motivating factor, okay, I'm I'm stressed out, but I'm gonna throw that stress into what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It can be a positive. Well, is it one of those things where you need a certain degree of stress like yes. that we, 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 th- we, we think of stress as being always a negative kind of thing but is there like kind of a positive side yes. to stress where you have to have a little bit there to there is positive stress absolutely if you go and you get married someday I mean you're excited it's an excited um, stress positive um, we also have something let's go through those other um, 
let's go through those other waves before we introduce that other wave I want to tell you about. Okay, so we've talked so far about beta being kind of the stage that you're in when you are doing cognitive kinds of tasks. Yep, detail-oriented. Alpha, yep. alpha then is a lower, no, higher frequency? Lower. Lower. Fre- lower frequency and more creativity happening yep. and relaxation happening. You're at you're in a comfortable state and okay. you're not allowed, you don't feel discomfort at that point. Okay, what's next? So the next one is theta, which is four to seven hertz. And this is a deep set of relaxation right before we fall asleep. Okay. And that is one where we can't be critical of ourselves. We can't be judgmental. We can't hear other people's judgment. It's when our body is saying, we're finally relaxing. Okay. So then um, delta is when we are asleep. It's 0.5 to 3 hertz. And this is the deep part of sleep. This helps us heal when we have an injury or an illness and can help regenerate um, neurotransmitters that we need within our brain. It also elicits um, growth hormone, which helps us to stay young. Oh, I was going to say, if it helps to elicit like my stomach growing, <laughs> I've been experiencing that a lot lately. So. <laughs> no, oh. that, that Gr- is growth like, hormone, good, good, good hormones. The right? healing restorative <laughs> sleep. Absolutely. So then there is a very unique form or a unique frequency that is called gamma, and that is 35 to 70 hertz. And this one includes Buddhist monks when they're meditating, and they meditated for many, many years, they can actually shift portions of their brain or grow portions of their brain that induce happiness. These are people that have meditated for years and can actually change their their cognitive states and change all these different brain waves. The other thing, this there's a saying out there called in the flow mm-hmm. and it feels like time just does this weird thing of standing still, but things are just pouring out of you, but the time is going really fast. It's kind of like when you're working, but you love your work that it doesn't feel like work. That's what they call in the flow. And so you can actually get into those states. They say you have to have that realm of kind of meditative, in the flow, um, kind of a combination of that, but that that it's doable, that you can reach those types of frequencies with the brain. It's really interesting. Um, didn't the, I can't think of the person's name. And when I do think of it, I know I butcher it because it's a, it's, it's not an easy name to pronounce, but he worked with Howard Gardner with multiple intelligences. He was uh, oh, yeah. the, uh, like his assistant and like fellow researcher, you know, right. when they were kind of developing all of the stuff with multiple intelligence that he did a lot of research on flow Interesting. And yeah, so he, I, I wish I could think of his name off the top of my head. But. It's weird because when we're actually in a state of flow, we're kind of at our healthiest. Our psychological well-being is in a very wonderful state. Right. Personal favorite, like educational philosophers, is Ken Robinson, and he, Sir Ken Robinson, he's from England. Sir, Sir Ken <laughs> wow. Robinson, yes, he's from England. Um, but you know, he talks a lot about creativity, you know, and he talks about it from the perspective of you know how the, our educational system 
supports creativity or on the other side how it tends to kill creativity because of you know kind of what you were just maybe mentioning you know with what we allow students to do and not doing what we expect yeah. of them and how we batch process and all you know all the things that are kind of part of that system of education that we're part of but uh, he talks about creativity and he um he he talks about it he calls it being in like being in the element being in your element uh, yeah. of you know w- where you're doing something that not only that you're really good at but you're essentially kind of in that flow you know so he yeah. did uh, uh like interviews with you know people from like all different you know from like music people that you know like paul mccartney and people that you know that are famous people in their in their genres or in their fields you know and and, and ask them you know it's like how do you do this you know how did Paul McCartney and the Beatles come up with all of this amazing music you know how do uh, you know dancers on Broadway and choreographers come up with these amazing movements you know and and you know absolutely and, you know and every, every everywhere from musicians to physicists to you know you interviewed all these people you know and it was just it was really interesting because it was probably talking think- about this type of state of mind where they're you know they're they're most creative almost on a different level yeah because they've kind of found that spot where they're in their element they're doing what they love and it's doing it in a way that's like you know at the highest level they are. yeah, yeah. And, and, but the cool thing was is he, he didn't look at it from like oh here are these select few people that can do this he talked about it from the fact that everybody can find their element it's just a matter of finding your element, you know, and yeah, figuring out yeah. where that, where that is, that, that I space is for you. I did a better job of that. That's exactly what his, Rob, Robinson's perspective is on it, is like the way our system is currently set up. He, yeah. he doesn't blame teachers. It's not, no, it's not a teacher no. issue. It's not a person issue. It's, it's a systemic yes. issue in education that's making it difficult for students to really yes. meet their full potential. We need our kids spending time with people in different fields and feeling what that job feels like. Because I look at, you know, we have 18 teachers in my extended family. And the only thing that I was kind of like thrown into and knew about was the world of teaching. Yeah. And it, you know, I don't think that I spent any time like job shadowing anybody. I just had no clue. If, if I had job shadowed, I probably would have gone medical, hmm, sure. which nobody in my family except a cousin of mine has gone medical. But I can't think of anybody else who would have. Right, right. You know, I got to say, I was, I was really impressed with this book in that it gave lots of different ideas to take you from beta, um, maybe in a state of worry or rumination if it stays too long, to move into alpha okay. and ways of looking at different issues or problems so can you think of a time in your life oh i feel like i'm being tested here (laughs) can you think of a time in your life where you had a tremendous well you you could just came into the she shed and you said you're having trouble sleeping yeah so even if you know it or not your brain is trying to process so you've got a big work thing coming up true and every time i would say a week to a week and a half before these work things come up you stop sleeping so you are in beta more often so what they talk about is being able to kind of move or shift your perception or your window on what's going on okay so right now they would say well too narrow of a window and how we are perceiving something 
helps us or causes us to ruminate or kind of go into emergency mode. So what they ask you to do is to look at this from a different perspective. So if you were to look at what is ahead of you, explain to me, you know, what this kind of what some of your worries are with getting getting this work done, getting it ready to go. Yes. <laughs> I Oh, the project that we're working on is, it's a huge project. I mean, so it, I think the first step is getting over the the sheer size of the project mm-hmm. and how much work is going into it. The project itself is exciting for me. It's, it's something I've always enjoyed doing because it involves like helping other educators with like through professional development. And so it's something that I've always enjoyed doing as an educator you know, so I'm excited about the work. Okay. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, and I enjoy doing it. I don't, fr- I don't fret about having to do the work. It's right. just so, knowing that there's a lot to do. And I think, I think too, kind of going maybe back to what you were talking about. I, I know that me personally, when I get into a project, especially when I get to a point where things start cooking, you know, I mean, where you're really making progress on it, it's hard to put it down and step away, you know, to, to sleep or to step away and go eat dinner or to step away and, you know, spend some time with the family because it's like, oh, I got to get back to this or I want to keep working on it. And, you know, and I think some of that is the excitement of the project and working on it. But also I think that's where maybe the worry part is, is like, okay, we only have X amount of time. Do we have to get this done? And so if I'm not working on it, that's time not being, you know, so then I'm like worried about deadlines, you know, and how are we going to get this done? (laughs) Take a breath. That was beta. That was beta. That was very (laughs) beta-ish. Okay. Thank you. So what I want you to do is, is to imagine yourself sleeping or trying to sleep in bed so you can float above yourself you can kind of look down into the roof like into the bedroom and see yourself kind of trying to sleep or trying to adjust to sleep um just think about that kind of overview of looking at it now what i'm going to do is i'm going to shift this a little bit okay so you're going to look into a bedroom of somebody, of a writer, a book writer, and they are about 70% through their novel. They, they're hitting these great points. It's going together, but the publisher wants it done within a couple, a month or two, and they know they still have a thousand pages to go. And they know they're going to make it, but they can't sleep and they're getting energized, they want to spend time with their family. What is something that you could potentially tell if you could whisper something into that author's ear while they're trying to sleep or tell them something that might help them? What might you say to them? Probably that they just need to pace themselves, like if they chunk it out rather than thinking about, like I've got X number of pages left to do, chunking it out and saying if I get five pages done tomorrow and five pages done the next day and five pages you know okay pace you know that that's what comes to mind for me is just telling them to just pace themselves and if they chunk it into smaller pieces they're gonna get to that finish line what we're gonna do now is we're gonna elevate you so we're gonna lift you off of that roof don't hurt your back (laughs) go more into the air and I want you to see your connection 
or this author's connection with their publisher or your connection with the school and look at the impact that that is having, what your work is doing is having with the school and with others around. What are you seeing? How much a part of this are you in that whole cog in the wheel? I would say a fairly big piece of, are you talking about how the project fits in or like in the scope yeah, of the whole institution? What's like, the bigger scheme in all of this? Yeah. I mean, we're helping new faculty members, you know, get oriented to their new job, essentially. Um, so when you go into a presentation, are you ever judgmental of the people that are presenting that are trying to help you? No. I mean, sometimes I suppose I'd be like their PowerPoint had a typo in it, but <laughs> no, no, I mean, not judgmental. I mean, try to, you know, I feel like they're in a position where where I will be or have been in doing like some of this work. So it's like I try to give them the benefit of the doubt that it's like I know where you're at and what you're doing. And mm-hmm. so try to. How can hanging out with family actually benefit your work? Well, my family is very um, light, I guess. You know, I mean, the boys, you are very lighthearted, you know, joke a lot. So, I mean, I think you guys bring a sense of relaxation, you know, especially the boys in the sense that they're still young enough that, you know, they can joke about stuff and it's very pure for lack of a better word mm-hmm. um you know and so you know when Kaylin cracks a joke or Gabe cracks a joke about something you know it's hard not to laugh you know about you know just to take that minute to just relax it's almost guess, like you know. they're a reminder of the bigger world yeah yeah that, that there's probably more that other things are probably more important or that what we're stressing about isn't it's not that it's not a big deal but it's not it it's not something that needs to be stressed out about. I've always wondered that, like, about children, because I know grandparents, you know, children have this ability to just take you out of your world so quickly. And it's kind of nice because you can escape in some ways. Yeah, no, I think you're you're totally right on that front, you know. And it, it kind of makes me wonder, too, if, like, grandchildren kind of de-age grandparents, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like watch you know we watch grandparents you know with their with their kids do like things like well you never did that with me you you know what I mean like in terms of physical or you know what I mean like you know active wise you know that kind of stuff and it makes me wonder if it just like you know by, by getting them out of that state of mind you know that all of a sudden now they're able to you know, do yeah, things, shift you know, out of, do yeah. things that they normally don't do or wouldn't do or have done. One of the um, things I've heard my mom say, too, is she loves the younger ones a lot. She said it's very hard to worry about things when you're around children because they're so busy. Yeah. And you're trying to pay attention to things, and it can really pull you out of that. So it's interesting. In some ways, it sounds like they can kind of pull you more into an alpha or just pure exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> go, go straight to Delta, right? Yeah. Deep sleep. Deep sleep immediately. <laughs> so one of the tactics that they teach about in this book is to allow you to take a different perspective on it, to even watch yourself on a screen, watch yourself give the presentation and look at it from different perspectives. Look at it from the perspective 
of a new teacher taking yours um, and recognizing that even if there are faults or there's problems with the session, they're not going to judge it. They're going to be there to learn. Those types of things to kind of get you to relax about it. You could probably go in tomorrow and it would still be really well done. And you've still got all this time left to make it even better versus like running toward the finish line. I love that about them. So one thing they talked about too, um, so when just your hands can be symptomatic of being in beta, any clue what you may, any clue how your hands might show whether or not you're in beta frequencies? My guess is that you're either like clenched, like you're tense, okay. or you're fidgety, like your okay. fingers are moving or you're twiddling you, your thumbs. Or I something want you like to think temperature. Probably if they're sweaty. Well, it's actually the other way oh, around. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> if your hands are cold. If your hands are cold, that's a sign that you're in beta because you're in fight or flight. Hmm. You're not getting much circulation. Oh, sure. That makes so, sense. Um, they said just the, just calming, just warming up your hands is a way to get you into alpha. Even massaging the hands to make them more warm can bring you into a state of alpha. You know, when I was talking about going to work out today mm -hmm. and then I went and I sat in that massage chair afterward. Yeah. yeah. Holy moly. Did she did I, work out, by the way. It was she awesome. did the workout, not just the massage <laughs> chair. She worked out and then rewarded herself with the massage chair. Well, enough. You know what I did today that I was so proud of myself? I, I was like, uh, you know, oh, I probably should just get going home, you know, and not do the massage chair. And I thought, screw that. I'm worthy. <laughs> I'm like, I just worked out hard. I can have 10 minutes of massage chair. And I did it for myself, and yeah. it felt really good. And I definitely went into an alpha state. That was that was amazing. What do you think about like, like, like sensory deprivation, like float tanks? Does that do that same kind of thing, or does that yes. go even deeper than that alpha? That goes even deeper. Okay. That can go into repairing the body oh, really? when you're ill, when you're not feeling good. And yes, it can bring about, they said if you are in Delta or if you are in Theta, um, to move back into that creativity, you have to raise up to an alpha state. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're going to be going through kind of cyclical through right. these, right. but if you're in a, if you're in a Theta or close to a Delta, like in those floating tanks, um, but you could even be at a Gamma in some ways if but you'd have to be trained. So are there any other uh, good tips or suggestions that they have for helping you get into, like I said, these creative states or these worry-free kinds of stages of thought or brain activity? One thing I really appreciated about them was um, kind of a third or tertiary way of looking at they really challenged us to not have too narrow of a focus or too broad of a focus. Okay. They said if you can think of your brain waves as a mosaic instead of something that's going very quickly and that you're too narrow or if you back off and you're too objective, it's not going to be good either way. So if you can kind of meld those two, um, it would be more beneficial. One of the things they suggested too, before you make a big decision, 
go into a state of alpha for long periods of time because they said you're going to make a better decision because your your brain waves are in a place of hitting lots of creative different avenues. If you're trying to make a decision in alpha, it's going to be a very dualistic decision. Mm. Whereas a third or fourth alternative might come up in a creative state. So that's why I like to nap before dinner, right? Yeah, that's you know, why you make, like making nap. dinner is an important <laughs> decision, and so I need to go into alpha or you know relax a little bit, right? So that way I can make a good decision about I, what to make. I thought about that the other day. I was like, I wonder if he naps when he gets home because he's been in a beta state all day long and he needs to go into a repair stage. Either that or I'm just <laughs> tired and lazy. I was surprised to find out, too, that yawning can actually take you out of a beta. Oh, really? Yeah. Like even like fake yawning or real yawning? Well, it's real when you're actually doing it. Now we're both going to start it up because just the word yawning. Oh, that felt good. <laughs> <laughs> they said even looking out of your peripheral vision can take you out of a beta state. And one of the things I really appreciated about this book was learning why we do breathing exercises. Mm. And they said, try to worry while you're concentrating on your breathing. You can't. Oh, really? Yeah. And that, that was fascinating. I was like, no wonder. I will literally, I probably have never said this to you, but when I have insomnia, I make myself count to a thousand three times and I, if I make it to a thousand three times, I can get up out of bed and go do something. But usually I will fall asleep because I get so bored <laughs> counting. I mean, you'd never, it seems like you don't really have problems with that at all. No, no, but, uh, um, so here's a question for you. Um, do they give any idea like how much time you should spend? You know, like, like if you're in beta a lot, how much time do you need to be in alpha or, you know, in order to, to make it worthwhile? Or, every you know. day, every single day. But I mean, is it like if, if I, you know, if I yawn or something like that, or I do some breathing exercises, is it like 15 seconds? Is it an hour? You know what I mean? What kind of time frame do they suggest? They didn't, but the, the hint that I got from them was at least 10, 15 minutes a day. And the reason being is the more that you meditate, the more you realize the relaxed state and the more you get used to it. And they said the difference is people that meditate can shift themselves out of beta because they're much more aware of when they're in beta and when they're mm, out of beta. They said a lot of people, we call it biofeedback, but it's learning you know, what states you're in. People are so out of their bodies half the time that they don't even recognize when they're having anxiety mm-hmm. and when they're ruminating about something. So just meditation allows a person to be more aware of what alpha feels like, what beta feels like. What do you think of like, you know, because what comes to mind is like I think about the commercials and we're not being paid for this, but like for that app, like that Calm app, you know, where mm-hmm. like the commercial is like do nothing for 15 seconds and it just kind of counts down while the rain is dripping in the background. You know, I mean, is that is that kind of getting at it? But does it have to be more than it is a positive thing? If if you can get somebody who's never done any form of meditation to do 15 seconds a day, that's much better than nothing. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think you have kind of your minimum of 10, 15 minutes 
at least. There are some people that meditate at least an hour a day or two hours a day. And they're just much more aware of when their body is being hit by, you know, tons and tons of energy and how they need to, they're very sensitive to what's happening. Interesting. What I found interesting too, is they said when people take a break from worrying, they increase their problem solving abilities by 40%. That's incredible. That is pretty impressive. They also talk about being aware of the people that you hang around, because if you hang around people that are consistently worrying, you're more apt to worry more often. So if you hang around individuals that are more in a relaxed state, it helps you to relax as well. Seems like a reasonable thing to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they did talk a little bit about, I'm not all the way through the book here, but they did talk about how um, manifestation, imagining, one of the, along with meditation, the importance of manifesting or imagining um, is to keep that same idea coming up in your brain. Mm. If we never dream, if we never manifest what we want, sometimes we're not even sure what we do want. Oh, yeah. So how can we bring that energy into us? How can we bring those things into our lives if we don't even imagine them or put them out there? Yeah, you've said, like, uh, maybe, maybe I've been an alpha more lately because you said I've been kind of manifesting a lot of stuff. You know, like, <laughs> stuff for the she shed has kind of shown up magically when I think of, you know, like, the TV or the, yeah, the chair or whatever, you know, that's shown up, you know, kind of out of the blue, you know, so maybe. I'm... They say if you, don't, if you don't think about it, if you don't process it and put it out there, how is it supposed to? So can, so I, maybe you already answered this, so. Can you, does manifesting, you know, kind of being in that state, does that impact then other people? You, you, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think when you think about manifestation, I mean, there's kind of that whole like physical object kind of thing, like manifesting stuff versus manifesting opportunities right. and that kind of stuff. You know, and I think there's a difference, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I can wish for a TV or I could wish for a million dollars and I could think about it all the time, but that's not necessarily, you know, but I, I think you're more thinking manifestation in the sense of like... The way I read it from their book, it's making it, making you more aware or alert to things, kind of openings in your environment that might bring that into uh, your life. Yeah, yeah. So it's more arising it or making it um, something solid in your own mind, which makes you more attentive to other possibilities mm, out there. That makes sense. It, it, yeah. And it's, you know, let's say you needed a TV or something. If you're constantly thinking about needing a TV, that's going to, when it does come up in your environment, you're going to notice it that's more true. and bring it up. So this is really interesting. I mean, I, I like, I like just the connection between, you know, the, the science, I guess, behind it. You Me know, too. the fact that there's this kind of concrete sort of evidence of, you know, brainwave, whether you speak neurological scientist or not, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's interesting knowing that there's this concrete sort of evidence or, you know, scientific kind of backing into what they're saying. They're not just like kind of telling us, you know, right. what we want to hear in order to not be worried. I mean, they're giving us tools and concrete things that we can that's actually do. That's what I so loved I think, about the book. I think that's really interesting. So. You know, and I didn't include their studies in here, but 
they gave evidence for everything that we talked about today. So I would definitely, you know, I'm not a book pusher. I like to talk about different books, but this is one. If you have a lot of worry and you're looking for activities to do to get you out of that, this is a great book. And I found it on Audible. They are not sponsoring this podcast, (laughs) but it was a free one I found on Audible because I'm part of it. So again, it's a worry-free mind by Dr. Carol Kershaw and Dr. Bill Wade. Very cool. Well, I think we'll go ahead and bring this uh, podcast to a, to a close here. But thank you for finding the book and, yeah, it was wonderful. and getting into it and sharing us some of the insights and, and some of the science behind it. We definitely appreciate that. Um, it's always always interesting, the topics. And you know. And let uh, me know that, that if, if you guys want me to go through the rest of the book. I mean, we can do that, too. Yeah, definitely. Let me know. My email is uh, Dr. Dylan. D-R-D-I-L-L-O-N-1976 at yahoo.com. Would love to know if you'd love to hear about the rest of it. Very cool. Well, thank you again, Karis. Again, your insights are always awesome. And oh, I love, I love my, podcasting. Uh, quippy wittiness is always something to detract from the Im- from the important uh, <laughs> messages that you're trying to uh, trying to send it's so always fun. thank you uh, to everybody for listening um thank you for hosting no no problem it's a it's easy job make sure we do not delete make sure we say <laughs> he'll never uh, let that's, up on that's that my one. job right <laughs> um thank you again for listening we'll uh, catch you guys in the next podcast have a good rest of your day